This is the Cato Daily Podcast for Friday, October 2nd, 2015. I'm Caleb Brown. Two years ago this week, the state of Wisconsin raided the homes of political activists, seizing computers, documents, and seizing emails from those activists' internet service providers. And then the state prohibited those under investigation from telling anyone about it. Two years later, no charges have been filed, no property has been returned. Eric O'Keefe is one of those activists. We spoke at the Cato Institute's Cato Club 200 event last week. It was two years ago that I was served with a six-page subpoena in Wisconsin uh, related to my political activities. And it was a sweeping subpoena looking for all of my emails with dozens of people and organizations across a four-year period. Um, and it indicated that they already had been spying on us for a long time, which was subsequently confirmed. And a much worse thing happened that day, which is four of my uh, associates had their family homes raided in the dark. And uh, that was stunning, of course, and uh, I, I disclosed that to the Wall Street Journal, which began covering this closely. Um, and in, in those cases, too, they were looking for political files, computers, cell phones, and political information. And, and, and then we later learned that they also went to the Internet service providers and took all of our emails, not just the ones with a certain list of people or certain subjects. They had grabbed all of the emails of dozens of people and had a huge database. So it was launched two years ago with these raids and the subpoena, and uh, that completely I had to completely reorient my life to run both the defense and the litigation offense against this attack. What were they alleging? You know, they they didn't, since there were never any charges or any indictments, and since we didn't do anything wrong, I think it's fair to say that uh, what they were doing is trying to shut down a political operation that they didn't like. They were looking for something to allege, so they were fishing. Now, when they were forced to explain the offense they thought maybe we committed, they called it illegal coordination. Uh, well, we didn't illegally coordinate, but here we get into something the Cato Institute has been a leader in for decades, which is to criticize uh, regulations of political speech that invite censorship. And uh, coordination, what is coordination? In, in this case, talking to office holders from their perspective, when my independent group had communications with someone also who was also communicating with an office holder, they say that's coordination. Um, and maybe you illegally coordinated. Well, so that's their excuse for getting the warrants. But again, we didn't do anything wrong and nobody was ever charged. So they got warrants on the prospect of discovering whether or not a crime had been committed when they had no strong evidence to support getting the warrants, it seems. Right, and uh, fortunately, the Wisconsin Supreme Court saw it in the way that I've described and used words better than I would have used, so I'll just quote them and say that this investigation was conducted without foundation in reason or law. And that's a quote from a decision just two months ago in our state Supreme Court. So our state Supreme Court said they did not have the probable cause even to justify the searches. What's changed since this... uh these raids were executed, and they took a bunch of your files, have not returned them yet. Uh, and here we are two years later. So what has actually changed? Our attitude is a lot better. Uh, <laughs> but this is maybe the most important part of the story right now, which is that no agency of government, the legislature or the attorney general, has joined me in investigating what went on. 
No law has been changed. None of the prosecutors who trampled constitutional rights with abandon and spent millions of dollars of taxpayer money, none of them have been sanctioned, demoted, or had their power abridged. So, and, and they still have all of our materials. So actually, nothing has yet changed. We just have this really great court decision as a platform to go forward with. What is the John Doe law in Wisconsin? Well, the John Doe law uh, is, is it works much like a grand jury, but with even fewer protections for people who might be being investigated. So um, basically, it's a prosecutorial tool. And the Wisconsin one-off thing it has, the unique thing, is, uh, is the judge can be asked to impose a secrecy order on everybody. No other state does this, by the way. So there was a judicial secrecy order on all of us, including me, with a threat of contempt of court for even talking about it, even telling people that I'd been subpoenaed. I could be held in contempt with a potential one-year sentence per offense, and uh, I repeatedly defied the gag order and called it unconstitutional. Uh, but uh, other, no one else was openly defying the gag order during this you know, two-year period. To uh, draw out the... Uh, distinction here, uh, a grand jury, they can haul pretty much anybody they want in front of them. They can compel them to provide secret testimony that will never be revealed. The jurors themselves, if they ever talk about what went on in that jury room, they themselves would go to jail. Uh, so, But the gag order is being applied to you, the person who's under investigation. Right. And so... Uh, you, you talked about how the, polit the politicians in Wisconsin have not stepped forward to uh, provide any kind of public defense of you or provide any type of investigation of the powers that this uh, prosecutorial agency has. Why? Well, the, the, um, there is a lot of support, and this uh, has been one of the, one of the more puzzling and striking things for me to learn through time. So I'll go back a little bit into the spring. There were two different times in the spring of this year before we won the state Supreme Court decision where I went to gatherings that had state legislators. And uh, I was treated like a hero in these private rooms. Oh, thank you. We love what you're doing. That's so great. And I, I have to say, I was, I was thinking at the time almost ungracious thoughts of, but I was surprised first at their enthusiasm. I didn't even know if they would want to talk to me because none of them were saying anything publicly. And I'm out there, you know, defying a gag order and suing prosecutors. It's understandable, I think, if a politician wants to stay away from somebody who's suing prosecutors and hasn't yet won. So I was surprised by their enthusiasm, and I wondered why they didn't speak publicly. And I thought, well, after I win in the Supreme Court, it'll be different. And it hasn't been yet. Now, I will say, by the way, that they are on a track, I think, in Madison to reform the John Doe law in a very good way. I think that will happen. But what has not happened is for anyone to step out and uh, publicly, any of the legislators, to investigate the prosecutors who trampled constitutional rights, to call on broader changes in the legal system outside of the John Doe, or to defend my organization. None of them have done that. And I think there we get into a richer analysis that applies in every state. And I guess to give it in one, in one sentence, I would say the regulatory state is extremely powerful and it has many friends in the media and they can create an extremely damaging story about any politician any week of the year. So fear, fear is why 
the politicians in Madison have been quiet, and I think it's why the governor hasn't spoken up about this, and the attorney general hasn't spoken up. And, I'll, and I, don't, I don't consider this to be an attack on them. It's a rational fear that they're going to have one-sided attacks from the press or even from the regulatory state and, you know, be set up to lose their, their offices. I think people don't really uh, appreciate uh, chilling effects uh, as much as they should because, one, they're hard to prove. Uh, but when you have uh, an agency that is being given broad power and literally the power to silence people who might criticize uh, what they're doing in, in engaging in these kinds of investigations, chilling effects are real and you were a witness or a victim of one, essentially. Yes, uh, the chilling effects are real. And the impact, while I defied a gag order at risk of contempt of court, um, uh, there are many, many people under these secrecy orders, and I've talked to a couple dozen of them, actually, and they mostly do not want to talk, even apart from the secrecy order. And that's where we get to this intimidating effect of a hostile newspapers that we have in Milwaukee and Madison. And the prosecutors have cultivated relationships over a long period of time with the newspapers. Prosecutors get a lot of good stories first, like who they're going to indict, who got arrested, who they find. So the newspapers tend to pander to prosecutors, and together they have extremely powerful weapons, even without any indictment, just starting an investigation. And for my independent group, Wisconsin Club for Growth, for us to be in news stories about a criminal investigation is devastating to the reputation and brand of the group. We've gone dark this whole last election cycle. So this attack shut us down, and it caused me to have to spend my time on litigation and communications instead of issue speech. To what extent have uh, the prosecutors in Wisconsin made use of the documents uh, that they seized from you and your uh, associates' homes? That's a great question. I'll broaden it a little. The documents they seized in the investigation. Sure. Because they got a lot of them off of Internet service providers. They also uh, you know, they filed a search warrant with my bank for the Wisconsin Club for Growth. They have used hundreds of emails improperly obtained in court filings, many of which became public legally or illegally. They've also frequently come to light over the years in their favorite newspaper, the Milwaukee Journal Sentinel, which was dubbed by the Wall Street Journal to be a stenographer for the prosecution. So hundreds of our emails have been selectively used to smear various people, to try to influence elections, and frankly, to intimidate uh, people from doing business with them. The First Amendment has several purposes uh, spelled out in the various clauses, but at its root, uh, when you're talking about speech, political speech is the one that matters most. And so with Wisconsin Club for Growth, you were engaged in independent expenditures to speak about politics for or against uh, uh, candidates. Yeah, I mean, we, we said things uh, with the names of candidates in there, but we were doing what is called in the jargon of modern American politics, issue advertising, not referring to an election or a vote. Um, Call Senator so-and-so and tell him what you think. Right. Or we, we even would do ads, you know, that would highlight uh, character flaws in candidates that we, we would tell the truth about candidates who are misrepresenting themselves. That's one of our favorite things to do, is to point out hypocrisy. 
one of the most hated things if you're an incumbent <laughs> with an ad against you. So our group is not beloved, even by Republicans in Wisconsin, which is partial explanation for why this happened, by the way. Uh, incumbents don't tend to like independent groups that really are independent like ours. We don't coordinate with a political party or with any of the office holders. We're, we're a critic of, uh, often an, a critic of both government policy and of incumbent politicians. And frankly, the, the uh, speech regulations that go back to the 1970s that came in in 1974 in the wake of Watergate, their real goal was to protect incumbents from criticism and to suppress third parties. Uh, the Democrats were afraid of the George Wallace phenomenon, which was so influential in the in the 1968 presidential elections. And so they used, they used Watergate as an excuse. And yeah. Eugene McCarthy. Yeah, right. Eugene McCarthy, who you know ran in 68 and, and, and set up really for Lyndon Johnson to not run for re-election. And Gene McCarthy went on the record. He, he sued against those new regulations, right, in conjunction with uh, James Buckley out of New York and the Libertarian Party, and uh, Ed Crane was involved in that, Cato Institute founder. They sued... Uh, to, uh, under First Amendment grounds primarily against those regulations. And, and the court uh, rewrote the bill even more than uh, the Obamacare bill was rewritten. They really rewrote the bill. Uh, they should have tossed it all out. It was a horrible bill. And that is the, that stripped away full First Amendment protections from political speech in federal elections. State laws imitated that because, why? Because incumbents saw it was a way to reduce criticism of incumbents. So the foundational reasons for these campaign regulations are pernicious, and what I, we're suffering from in Wisconsin is just downstream consequences of, of restrictions on the First Amendment speech that, we, that we're supposed to have. So here we are two years later, uh, documents taken from your homes, documents uh, taken from internet service providers, char no charges filed, uh, against you or the other folks involved, many stories that have come out based upon the, the documents that were taken, uh, people who should have been principled advocates on your behalf may have been cowed into silence. So what do you expect to be the end result of this ordeal? It, it, it has a long way to go. Uh, I've spent enough time and money and effort on it that I... I, uh, I am very optimistic about drawing it out as an object lesson of why we cannot allow government to regulate political speech at all. So I actually expect the result to be a compelling story of if you let government regulate speech, eventually they will be kicking down the doors of family homes to grab political documents. Tyranny, in other words. The fact that they could pull this off, and it involved dozens and dozens of people who were in the know on these investigations and approving of raids on family homes. So we, we are, that is close enough to tyranny that I've been using the word in Wisconsin and it was used in the Supreme Court decision, tyrannical behavior, the phrase was used because that's what we faced. So to me, I'm going to sound an alarm and say, this is what's coming to your state if you allow government the power and authority to regulate campaign speech. We, the people, are free to discuss our government, criticize it, pick on politicians as we see fit. Eric O'Keefe is a political strategist in Wisconsin. We spoke at the Cato Institute's Cato Club 200 event held last week. Learn more about freewheeling political speech and its detractors at our website, cato.org.